You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Sex and relationship advice you can use tonight. Welcome to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. I'm your co-host, Brandon Ware, here with my lovely other half, Dr. Jess. How are you? I'm feeling good. We've got a a great guest today who's going to answer so many of our questions regarding pelvic floor health and more. So not just penises and vaginas, but we're going to be talking about delayed ejaculation, painful ejaculation, um, pelvic floor therapy for trans folks, for cis folks, what a pelvic floor consultation looks like, uh, the role of rectal exams in some pelvic floor treatment, how we can make patient experiences more active versus passive. We're going to be talking about how to clean your vulva, how to clean your vagina, what it means to release the tailbone, so much more all in the name of sexual health. And of course, pleasure. And that brings us to our October partner for the podcast, Cleavana. And Cleavana is a treatment that uses sound wave technology to stimulate the growth of blood vessels and nerve tissue. And it's a completely non-invasive treatment that actually targets the clitoris. So it's not about the vagina. And we know the clitoris is responsible for all the pleasure down there and across the body. And so with no downtime, it's um, an exciting new treatment. And folks can learn more at cleovana.com. Now we are going to be speaking with Michiko Karangal from Happy Down There, who specializes in pelvic health physio for all genders. Michiko went to U of T and has a couple of master's degrees in physical therapy as well as a master of health science in bioethics. Thanks so much for being here. We're happy to chat with you. I'm always learning from pelvic floor therapists. Uh, tell me, tell me about your journey. How did you end up working in this field? Yeah, so um, I actually experienced um, pain with sex for so long, um, for two years, actually, about 10 years ago. And I went through so many medical professionals and people were saying, you know, it's in your head or, you know what, why don't you just have a baby and your pelvic pain will go away and all these like, like, I can't even have sex. How am I supposed to have a baby? So um, I just went to a pelvic health physiotherapist and with long commitment and like a lot of work, I got better and i thought to myself you know what i want to help other people that experience this kind of stuff um so i became pelvic health physiotherapist myself to help other people wow so this was a a personal journey oh yeah totally i mean i know how um vulnerable you can feel when um you have private information that's really sensitive and you can't really talk to anyone and so that's how i feel about pelvic health physio and um i'm really passionate about it yeah i love that and so how many of your patients experience pain during sex is that the impetus for them coming to see you in the first place in a significant proportion of cases Yeah, so I work very closely with sex psychologists. So a lot of my patients are, I would say a majority, I would say about 80% of my patients, people with penises as well as people with vaginas um, who experience pain with sex, um, come see me. Yeah. And so are the reasons for pain similar, whether you have a vagina or a penis? You know what? Um, That's really a good question because people with vaginas usually... 
I would say um, the concern is more so superficial pain. So there's different kinds of pain. There's superficial pain, there's deep pain, and then there's also maybe a structural, like something is blocking the tissues and that's why it, there's uh, sexual pain. But with people with penises, I tend to get a lot of pain with ejaculation, or um, there's also pain at the, pe at the glands of the penis. So it's so sensitive that they can't actually have sex. And what is the reason for that? You know what? I think that they've gone through so much medical treatments and stuff, and they come to me with really no diagnosis. So I just work through the central nervous system down regulation, really, really think about desensitization programs. So um, kind of like a approach where you do progressive exercises where, where you touch and you um, apply temperature and different textures to ensure that your sensitivity kind of goes down. Interesting. Okay. And what about pain with ejaculation? What are some reasons why you might have pain with ejaculation? Yeah. yeah so that's got to do a lot with um, most of the time. I mean, I can't say 100%, but I would say a lot of pelvic floor muscle tension um, uh, superficially as well as deep internally um, pelvic floor muscles. They are short and tight. And so does this mean that everybody can benefit from seeing a pelvic floor physio? Because it sounds like all of these sexual issues, yes, of course, it's yeah. great that people are talking to therapists uh, yeah. and perhaps their physician, but uh, it seems like having your pelvic floor muscles assessed and receiving a treatment plan from someone like you sounds so essential. You know what, just, I am so biased though. <laughs> so <laughs> I would say, you know what, if you have interest, interest in sexual health, as well as, you know, have any symptoms that um, kind of surround your pelvic region, then yes, of course, I think you should definitely see someone that is a healthcare professional who specializes in pelvic health. Um, you know what, it just, it's, it's like if you have a fever or if you have arm pain, you're going to go see someone. So if you have pelvic problems, you should probably see someone too. That makes so much sense. I also have a question about delayed ejaculation because we often yeah. talk about premature ejaculation. And of course, you can help with that. But I'm hearing from more and more people who are having difficulty um, reaching orgasm or ejaculatory orgasm. So just a quick note to yeah. folks, of course, orgasm and ejaculation can be distinct processes, but oftentimes for the penis, it happens at the same time. In more cases, you know, in, in the vast majority of cases, that's how it happens. So do folks come to you for delayed ejaculation? And how can you help with that? Yeah, so I have only had, to be honest, only one individual um, who has come uh, to me with uh, delayed ejaculation. Uh, I have, honestly, it was really a lot of more of the biopsychosocial perspective that I took, meaning that I took a whole whole person approach because everything was so tense. It's not just um, in terms of the pelvic floor muscles, which is what I treated um, in terms of like releasing the tissue, um, the surrounding hip muscles, strengthening weak ones, but it's also related to how um, anxious or uh, the psychosocial factors that are involved in a sexual health, I would think. Of course, that, that makes so much sense. And so you talk about treating the hip muscles. I think many oftentimes when we think of a pelvic floor therapist, we're only thinking 
about, you know, specific muscles, like do your Kegels, don't do your Kegels, release, tense up. But you're talking about hip muscles. I know you also treat um, tailbone pain. Uh, So I'd love to hear a little bit about what that looks like. It's not just Kegels. I I presume it could be squats. It could be cat curls. It could be yoga. Tell us about all of our options. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, for sure. So you know what? I guess maybe going back to research, I mean, like 80% of people with vaginas who have urinary incontinence also report low back pain so there is a relationship there's a clear relationship between it not necessarily a causation but that's why like releasing the pelvic floor muscles or strengthening them whichever one is suitable for that individual and knowing that the pelvic floor muscle the diaphragm the deep core muscles everything kind of work together to support the trunk and then also knowing that what i'm trying to do is i'm trying to actually improve your function function doesn't mean that you're just lying there and getting your muscles released i think that it's also movement i really truly believe that so we really focus on posture we focus on you know um movement like squats like you say we really focus on doing more of um core control balance work um yeah like different kinds of work not just hey let's work on the tissue and releasing the pelvic floor muscle or this is all this is all really interesting to me because I have never seen a pelvic floor therapist. I have back pain. I have uh, pain that I wouldn't necessarily assume comes from my pelvic floor, but I know that looking at your Instagram page, one of the comments that you make is, it's not, it's, it's gentle, it's at your pace, your first visit. So somebody who would be, I'm interested, but I'm also apprehensive about my first visit, what, what would I expect to experience in my first consultation. Absolutely. So, you know, the first thing I always say is education. I really, really, truly believe that knowledge is power. If you want to know your own body and what's going on with your pain, then you need to know what the structures are happening, what's moving, what's not moving, what's tense. I think we need to all be a little more connected to our body itself. So the first appointment, it's going to be a lot of education, but it's also going to be establishing a rapport, really understanding that you can trust a physiotherapist or trust a healthcare professional again maybe because you've been told so many different things i think it's just so important that we establish a relationship i i think so much about like a first i, I think because i haven't been i just think about poking and prodding in places that might be quite painful but then when you know when you talk about hip relaxation and squats and some of that stuff i, f- I think immediately i already feel a bit better because I, i'm like i'm receptive to this idea i very much appreciate your comment about understanding like where the pain is and where it comes from i've been struggling with a neck issue for yeah. years and years and years and it's only in the last year that i've really taken a more active role in trying to fix it and it's been a real it's been a journey like there have been months where it's been better and then months where I feel like I've reverted back so I can only imagine that somebody coming to you uh, the, the process is fluid and I think you know even just hearing your conversation or your comments right now I'm like okay so I'm going to come in and we're going to have a discussion and we're going to build some rapport and then and then you're going to make some suggestions on I guess what's tailored to me about uh, poking and prodding and stretching yeah, and, and things like exactly. that. Exactly. So I believe in like a non-aggressive approach. I really do because everyone this this space is supposed to be safe. 
I don't think that, and we're going at your own pace, like I always say, and um, it's it's tailored to you. It's your personalized care. It's not necessarily, everyone's not a cookie cutter. We don't all, our, all our bodies are unique. And so I need to ensure that I'm going at a comfortable pace for you. You know, so I, I have been to a pelvic floor therapist, and so I, I'm familiar with, I guess, the the process for what it might look like for someone with a vagina, right? So they yeah. uh, they did what you described, lots of discussion and talking and sharing and developing rapport. And then there was a, a physical exam, which involved yeah. some touching on the outside, um, you know, pressing in certain areas internally in my vaginal canal, um, kind of look, it's kind of felt, and this is how it felt to me, this may not be how you describe it as a clinician, but it sort of felt like they were working around the clock. So kind of going from 12 to one and and asking me how I felt. Um, Now, Brandon, Brandon has a penis. So what does that exam look like for someone with a penis? Like it is, is it on the outside? Is it in their anus? Um, I imagine it's different depending on the conditions with with which they're presenting. But if somebody just said, "Hey, I want to get a pelvic floor pelvic health checkup," I got I brought my penis. Um, what would that look like? I'm glad that you brought that up, just because I didn't. I wanted to yeah. ask that question, but I didn't really know how, because I was thinking if there needed to be an internal uh, exam, and I wasn't comfortable with that, or I wasn't relaxed enough, or whatever it was, is that like how do you diagnose? Um, So yes, thank you for bringing that up without me saying that. Yeah. So I think that, you know what I always say to my patients, I'm like, okay, well, you know what? First I assess your diaphragm, then I go to your abdominals, then I go to your hips. And then if it's, let's say it's a person with a penis, I would more assess like the pubic bone area. And then I really want to see the superficial pelvic floor muscles, which is like you lift your penis and your testes onto your abdomen that when you're lying on your back. And then I look really underneath the testes. So there's like um, muscles there that I need to touch and um, I really press down and sometimes there's pain um, Mm. on certain tender points. And so I release those. I look at your inner thighs and then if all goes well and you do provide consent, then I'll do a rectal examination. So it's there's a huge process to it for sure before we even go internally. I'm so glad we're talking about this because in all the time I've spent talking to pelvic floor therapists, we haven't talked so much about about the penis. And so when you say you're checking those muscles, is it along the perineum that you're checking them? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Ah, interesting. Okay. And then the rectal exam, I don't imagine is only for people with a penis. I imagine it would be indicated in in some cases for people with a vagina. I just never got there. Um, Mm -hmm. what, What are you looking for in a rectal exam? What might surprise us in terms of the conditions that you might be assessing for or treating uh, via yeah. the anus? So um, the anal, well, can I, maybe I could just uh, say also that for, you know, how you said that you didn't have an opportunity to do the rectal examination, but sometimes with person with a vagina, if it's so painful to go through the internal examination with the vagina, I do do it rectally. So huh. um, yeah, like because if you have so much pain, like let's say pain with sex or anything, then I am going to do a rectal examination because I can still do the pelvic floor examination through rectally. And I can actually touch through all the muscles, like you said, just like going from 12 o'clock to like 11 o'clock to one o'clock and going around the clock. And then what I can also do is I can actually touch your coccyx, which is your tailbone. 
Um, and then I can actually manipulate it or traction it or mobilize it or just release everything around there. That's so interesting. So does that mean someone who presents with vaginismus, you could do the pelvic floor exam anally instead of vaginally? Sometimes I do, yeah. That makes so much sense. Obviously, someone with vaginismus isn't dying to go have fingers or a tool or anything put inside their vagina. Um, yeah. And I've never heard of I've never heard of it being done rectally. Now, obviously, I'm not an expert at all. Uh, the tailbone yeah. is so interesting to me. So, what does yeah. that mean to release your tailbone? Because many years ago, I had a tailbone injury, and yeah. man, I couldn't kick this injury for I swear to God, it lasted over a year, and it is it was yeah. so painful. It was like if my pinky brushed against my tailbone. Not it, it wasn't yeah. consistently painful, but at certain times, if I even just like brushed against it, it felt like someone was stinging me like a like a, a long bee sting that's what it felt like yeah so you know what it could be an extension injury where you know maybe it was childbirth or chronic straining like on the toilet or maybe it's a flexion injury where you like actually fell you know on your tailbone I did so, yeah I did. yeah yeah so in those cases like it, it really depends how you treat them but like be, but the main thing that i do is um if it's a rectal examination i would actually go rectally with one finger in the rectal canal so the patient will be um the person will be sidelined and then um and then my other hand will be on the sacrum on the outside so then what I would do is I would actually traction it or flexion or extension it. And then um, usually what's happening is a tight pelvic floor because everything like it, the tailbone is the insertion joint, like the point for many, many pelvic floor muscles. So what it does is it actually just grips at it. So what you want to do is you want to release the pelvic floor muscles that are surrounding um but also just it's about like posture training and you know you want to you want to release the like i said the hip muscles that are surrounding and you want to massage the internal muscles and there's a lot of things like toileting practice changes lifestyle modification things like that too that a pelvic health physio can help with there's so many layers to this but of course whenever you bring up posture brendan and i both get super erect yeah, in our chairs yeah. <laughs> You know, I, I was a piano player as a child and oh. posture was a huge thing because I, I was yeah. in like the Suzuki method. So posture oh. was everything. And I noticed that I still have fairly good posture because yeah. of piano. Now, of course, right now I'm bending toward the mic. And, you know, when you're sitting in a car, you can only, hey, hey, I should ask you about that. Any tips? I can't stay focused here. I'm so excited. Um, <laughs> any tips for sitting in a car to reverse the potential negative effects of sitting for long periods of time? Yeah, so I guess like, um, are you talking about more like leg pain or tailbone pain or like, it, it depends like on what kind of pain, but, and it also depends on what kind of seat you got because sometimes I find that SUV, like bucket seats or, you know, at different kinds of seats, cause different kinds of problems but initially i would say mainly get your sit bones your two sit bones and kind of perch on them so you release the tailbone so um and then you'll have a better posture um so that's what i usually say oh so try and get those two kind of the, the two bones on each side in each butt cheek touching yeah. okay okay i'm yeah. gonna try that when we go on our next yeah. car ride <laughs> I, okay. I love it. Now, um, you work with 
clients with vulvas, with penises. You work with cis folks and trans folks. And I want to just ask, and I know you have training specifically in treating trans patients. Why is pelvic floor therapy so important to both cis people and trans people? And a a quick note, if we have any new listeners um, on when, when we say cis, we mean that the gender with which you identify aligns with the gender that you were assigned at birth. So for example, when I was born, they looked down between my legs and they didn't see a penis. So they said, hey, it's a girl. And I happen to also identify as a woman. And Brandon falls into the same category. They looked down, they saw a penis, and they said, hey, it's a boy. And he identifies as a man. Now, of course, there are folks who are assigned male at birth, but don't identify as male. They might identify as female. They might identify as non-binary. And I know this is a big part of your work. And I was I was reading your dislike of the term women's health because it yeah. assumes that because you have a vulva or a vagina that you identify or feel like a woman. And it's, you know, that means different things to different people, obviously, but it's very exclusionary. Um, yeah. And so I know that your practice is is inclusive and that you welcome folks of all genders. But I just wanted to give that quick note for people. So so trans, of course, is the opposite of what I'm saying with cis. So if you are assigned male at birth, but you perhaps don't identify as male, um, you would perhaps identify as trans. And there are many, many different terms we use here. But I want to ask you about why pelvic floor therapy is important for folks of all genders, both cis folks and trans folks. Right. So cis folks and trans folks, I mean, they all have pelvises. So (laughs) the fact is like you can still um, be uh, benefit from pelvic health physio, but specifically with uh, trans folks, I think that, you know, there's a misconception here where, for example, I'll just give an example here, but um, an individual who has gone through medical transition, let's say a trans man, but um, still did not have a total hysterectomy, so still has a cervix. Um, Now, with that, I would say that cervical cancer is still something to really look into. Um, Checking that, pap smears, all those kinds of things are really still important. So just because you've had medical, certain medical transitions doesn't mean that these body parts are gone. And so I really am a really strong advocate about that to say, you know what, don't talk about just the the gender identity or gender sex. It's you got to talk about the objects that are in the organs that are there. And um, that's why with trans health, I think it's so important to really, really think about um, being welcoming and, you know, creating a safe environment so that these individuals can speak to you about it um, and talk to you about any concerns. Um, As well, you know, there are obviously some, you know, gender affirmation surgeries that are um, done and pelvic floor physiotherapy will also support this because of scar management or whether it's um, any kind of recovery um, with dilators. Um, Yeah, there's a lot of things, Jess, yeah. Well, I appreciate the work you're doing, and uh, I hope that we see more training in the medical field to move beyond the binary because we're obviously it's not just in- exclusionary, but it's it's costing people their their health and their lives, and we're in othering or saying, oh, that's just a footnote or that's less common, so I don't need to bother with it. It's um, we can see that if we measure the outcomes, um, the costs are quite quite astronomical. Yes. Um, 
So I, I want to ask you some questions that I have collected from your blog. So your blog is happydownthere.ca, and you're also on Instagram, and I follow your content at happydownthere.ca. Uh, these are questions that align with questions that I receive all the time, and I know that you answer on your social media channels. Um, so let's let's start with with why should I pee after sex? Yes. So why should you pee after sex? Because there's a lot of stuff like gunk around there. So, I mean, whether it's secretions, whether it's lubrication, whether it's anything you want to, you don't want a urinary tract infection. So especially with people with vaginas, um, but you know, people with penises too, you don't want anything to go inside and cause a bacterial infection. So you definitely want to pee it out and clear all the, all the urethra. Awesome. Get rid of the gunk. Yep. Get rid of it. <laughs> love, love it. More, more vagina questions. So I was reading about this on, on your blog. Uh, a question with regard to is something falling out of my, my vagina? So uh, what would it be or how would you diagnose or what would you check if somebody said it felt like something is coming out of their vagina? Or some people have described it to me as my vagina itself is falling out. Yeah, exactly. So a lot of people say, oh my gosh, like, I feel something, I see something coming out, or, you know, there's pelvic pressure, um, something pushing down. And what it is, is uh, usually the vagina, well, the vagina has two walls, right? Or like it's a wall. And then the organs that are surrounding or neighboring to the uterus kind of start to fall and into the vagina. So the vagina wall is actually pushing down towards the opening. Um, what a pelvic floor physiotherapist would do is they would actually examine that and grade how um, how severe the actual prolapse is um, and whether it's a rectum that's coming out or whether it's the bladder or whether it's the uterus or whether it's combination um, and support you by doing exercises as well as even thinking about any tools that are um, also referrals to any specialists. And so this might result in surgery in, in your experience, and I don't need hard data, just kind of an esp estimation of what you've experienced. How often is surgery necessary and how often can it be, you know, treated with non-invasive options? Yeah, so I think research also shows that, you know, the first line of treatment should be pelvic health physio because there are surgery options obviously for some individuals but um why not do a conservative treatment first so i don't i for me personally i have not gotten um i have not received a patient who has gone through surgery it's more so uh like trying to prevent um further of the prolapse or actually improve it just a little bit Okay. And are there any health risks with the prolapse or is it, is it more of a discomfort and quality of life? I mean, obviously that's a piece of health, but I mean, are there, are there any other kind of indications or concerns? Um, I would say that there's a lot more of the quality of life, life like you say, Jess, and there are other concerns as well in prolapse, um, including, like, for example, if the rectum is actually starting to push out of the vagina, then I would say that, you know, constipation can happen. Um, because the the feces can stay inside the rectum as it, the part that bulges into the vagina. So you sometimes you have to assist to poop or things like that. So there's a lot of dietary stuff too. 
so this is just a whole lifestyle approach. And I, I see that you, yeah, I see that you do such a good job of that. I can see that from your writing, from your work. Um, it makes me think about, um, vaginal farts and queefs because I was reading on your blog about a rectovaginal fistula. So uh, a vaginal fart can be just normal and maybe you can explain that, but also if it's happening all the time, there's another consideration. So I'd love to hear from you on that. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, with um, any kind of vagina farts, um, it's quite normal if it's just like when you're having an orgasm, let's say, and your pelvic floor muscles are contracting really hard and there's air that's actually trapped inside your vagina, so it needs to come out. Totally okay. But let's say there's a fistula, like um, between the rectum and the vagina, and there's actual air coming out. And you can probably sometimes see that there's like little, like, poop like or kind of just like weird odor like um coming out of your vagina then that's when you need to kind of you need to see a specialist for sure and see a physician okay all right and um you know speaking of that folks are always asking about you know how to clean the vagina and and i'm often approached by brands who how do I put this? They come to me looking for my support or they want me to endorse a product or review a product that is really rooted in the shame around our bodies, right? So a product that makes you smell better. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to clean yourself in a specific way to clean your vulva. Um, you know, I'm, I happen to be somebody who's super sensitive to smell. Like even when yeah. I'm playing sports and I get too close to someone, um, I'm like, oh, I can't guard you because, <laughs> because of the smell. <laughs> I mean, I don't say it, but in my head, I'm like, I'm going to lose this one. <laughs> um, or when we've been hiking a lot lately, everyone I walk by, I can smell them. It's not that they smell bad. It's just like a new, unfamiliar smell. Uh, the Brandon would never smell someone on a path. I don't smell anything. We walk by people and she's like, oh my gosh, I can smell that person. And it's not bad. It's not good or bad. It's just you smell. I'm like, we're outside. I can't smell anything. <laughs> but people are really concerned about the smell of their vagina. And you use the same term that I do, which is self-cleaning oven. Like the vagina cleans itself. If it doesn't like something, it will just eject it. Right. Um, so yep. what's the very short answer on how to clean your vagina? <laughs> I mean, really, just the short answer is don't clean it. Like, it's yeah. going to clean itself. <laughs> just <laughs> even be, you know, um, I, I really think you don't need to do anything. It's It's lovely in itself, you know? I love it. I love it. And then what about cleaning your vulva? I saw an OBGYN. She's really funny. I wish I could remember her name uh, on Instagram. Um, oh, I'll think of her name. I think she's half Asian, half white. And she was talking about how to clean your vulva. Do you have any perspective on that? You know what, really? I just say water and like a nice cloth and just wipe it front to back. Like, that's all you need to do. <laughs> like just go back to front. For sure, but like, or like, don't go scrubbing it hard. Like, it's, oh it's, god, you, know, like you don't need to do that. So, but some people come into my clinic and they just don't. They, it's totally like I said, just for like, it's education. Like, mm -hmm. how do you just do basic hygiene so that you don't get an infection, so you don't get more sexual pain, so you don't get all these things? Um, very basic stuff. Right. It's sort of like, you know, how do you clean your shoulders or how do you clean another part of your body? Now, of course, my hands, I clean more thoroughly because my hands are constantly touching things, but I almost never touch things with my vulva. <laughs> so it's it's very, very clean. Yes, I wouldn't imagine so. <laughs> yeah, 
I put my hands on a lot of things. I put it on a lot of people. I really don't put my vulva on anything. Oh, I mean, once in a while, babe, once in a while. Once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I would agree with that. Like, I'm the same, definitely. I love it. And I think, like you said, we just need more awareness around this. Now, with your work in the field, what do you want people to know? What um, insights can you offer to improve our relationships with our bodies, with our pelvic floor health, uh, and of course, with our sex lives, because pelvic floor health is so closely tied to to our sex lives? What uh, insights would you like to leave us with? You know what? I think the main thing that I want to leave is um, that there's a disconnection disassociation between the head and the pelvis region and i think i'm starting to see that more and more and more especially with sexual dysfunction um they people are just not aware of what's going on where the pain is where the pain is located specifically and what kind of pain it is how to treat it i think that people are also psychosocially feeling a lot of shame and guilt so they just kind of erase that part of their health you know, and it's so important to come in tune with it and understand what's happening so that you can start with self-care. I think that's so important. Yeah. And you talk about the shame. Shame holds us back from seeking treatment. It holds us back from even acknowledging what we're feeling. It holds us back from communicating with partners. Uh, and that you talk about education. And I see education as the first piece in relinquishing shame. Uh, but in your experience, because you've worked with so many people, do you have any other approaches for letting go um, or acknowledging, working through, maybe that's a more appropriate way to put it, ways to work yeah. through the shame associated with, with our pelvic region, with our bodies, with, with sex. Yes. Um, you know, with shame and guilt, I think that a lot to do with, um, first of all, I do a lot of intake forms. Um, so I assess what kind of level of anxiety or depression or stress you're feeling. And then we work through um, levels of CNS down the regulation, which means that's pretty much we're trying to bring down two notches of your central nervous system going, going like, like this and feelings of body imagery, um, like negative body imagery um, image. And um, we just really work through understanding, touching self-independent care. So I don't necessarily touch you, you touch yourself and do your mm -hmm. care. Um, I think that's really important because passive care is increasing dependency. Active care increases your understanding of your body. Oh, that's so interesting. I wish I'd brought this up right at the beginning. So passive versus active care. Does this mean that, for example, uh, I've read about people whose doctors, for example, will allow them to insert the speculum themselves as opposed to just kind of shoving it in there, which can feel, you know, um, obviously aggressive, but even, you know, can reignite trauma. So is that a possibility for some people to even be kind of directed by you in in office? For sure. So, um, for example, um, for example, uh, we use dilators for certain conditions, uh, whether it's like um, increasing the fullness of the vagina, stretching or anything. Um, I actually ask the individual to purchase the set and then do it themselves in front of me instead of me doing it for them. 
Interesting, interesting. Oh, that's very interesting. Where can people learn more? Do you know? Do you have any resources for passive versus active care? And I'm thinking about folks because I think a lot of people in the industry, in the health industry, in sexuality, uh, in the medical medical field as well, uh, are perhaps are listening. So, do you have any suggestions for learning to to provide more active care? Yeah, like I think it's a lot to do with ethics, to tell you the truth, just like from my ethics, bioethics degree, I learned a lot of autonomy of the patient. Mm. And, you know, um, I think that the power differentials between a healthcare professional and a patient Mm -hmm. and how to balance that out, all those things. So it's more about ethics than anything. Um, So that's the base of healthcare anyways. And I think that's just not really there right now. Right. And I see you have, I know you have your master's of science in physical therapy, but also a master of health science in bioethics. So hopefully we'll see more of this integrated into medical and healthcare training so that it becomes the norm as opposed to something into which folks have to opt. So I really appreciate your perspective. You've answered so many questions, I think, open up some some doors for Brandon. Oh, yeah. I feel much, much more willing to, to go for my first visit to a pelvic floor therapist. Interesting. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time. We're going to share your handles, folks. Make sure you're following along. Happydownthere.ca on Instagram and happydownthere.ca. Note it's CA because we're in in Canada right now. And uh, yeah, thanks so much for chatting with us. Thank you so much. And thank you for joining us. Brennan, are you feeling ready for your first pelvic health exam and physio treatment. You're putting me on the spot. It seems like I've already been signed up based on what you just said. And yes, I am excited to go. A little nervous and perhaps I should, you know, make this uh, a priority. And I guess you're calling me out here, so I should go and report back. No, only if you want to. But no, I, th- I do. I, I think do. it would be really interesting because we hear so many perspectives uh, in terms of people with vaginas. We, you know, I'm part of a mom group on Facebook. I don't know why I'm not actually a mom, but I always get put in these groups. They're like, oh, she looks like she's got a kid or something <laughs> like that. And I saw the moms discussing how pelvic floor physio is really a life changer, but I don't see those same discussions among people with penises. So, Well, I loved what we talked about today, in particular, the idea that you can go at your own pace. Like mm-hmm. you may not necessarily have to have an, uh, you know, an intrusive initial consultation or ever for that matter. So I think for me, that really made me feel more comfortable because the unknown was most anxiety producing. So I will go, I will report back. And I will tell you how amazing of an experience it is. That's how confident I feel right now. <laughs> or just an honest ex- honest report would be just fine. It, okay. it might be more neutral. But I think yeah. the outcome can be really, really impactful and positive. Definitely. So I want to thank you all for listening and say thank you again to Cleovana for their support. Uh, Cleovana, again, it's this non-invasive treatment that uses sound wave technology to enhance pleasure and orgasm at the cellular level. It boosts the process of regenerating cells in the genitals, resulting in improved blood flow to the clitoris. And yeah, it's all about pleasure and orgasm. Check them out, cleovana.com or follow along on Instagram. Thank you so much for joining us wherever you're at. I hope you have a wonderful day. You're listening to the Sex with Dr. Jess podcast. Improve your sex life. Improve your life.